Now Mark chapter 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked back at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at this word, at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. God always blesses the meaning of God's holy word. Come Holy Spirit, lead us, bless us, guide us, sweep us up in your grace and love. Thank you for your indefatigable grace, unstoppable, unceasing presence and power in our lives. Jesus, thank you for coming to save us in every way. Speak now as only you can. In your strong name we pray, amen. Well, the other day I was working out downstairs and I'm trying to work out more and I heard my son Jack yell hey dad I'm stuck I'm stuck and I said Jack how are you stuck I'm just stuck well what do you mean buddy and this kind of went on I said are you stuck in the couch you just have to come see or something like that I was like okay hang in there so I got upstairs. Here, dear Jack had, he likes to put on uh, his hoodie, and he got stuck in his hoodie because he's getting bigger. So he put his hoodie on over his whole body, and then he couldn't get out of it because he's not little like he was, as little as he was a few, even a few months ago. He's growing. So here he was, stuck in his hoodie, and he was, he, he couldn't, he couldn't extricate himself. So I got up there and we, we, I don't know how we did it. We just got him, got his hoodie off through his, I think by his legs. We took it down his legs. And he said, thanks dad. He's like, I'm a little sore now from that. So we all get stuck sometimes. We all get stuck sometimes. Are you stuck anywhere? We need help. It's a metaphor. In fact, when Jack first said, I'm stuck, I didn't know if it was a metaphor or literal, it was like, or if, if it's on the Xbox or, or whatever, you know, I didn't know what he meant. But it was literal. But sometimes we, 
We get stuck. Our guy here in our story is stuck. He gets stuck. Are you, are you guys stuck anywhere? We all can be sometimes. So let's find out where and how. It starts this way. As Jesus started on his way, a man went up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the guy wants to know what he can do to live eternally. And Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is one of those moments where this text could be used to sound like Jesus is demoting himself. But we know that he does identify as divine in other places in scripture. So that's, if we interpret scripture by scripture, he's not doing that here. He's not demoting himself here. He is God in the flesh. So there's something else going on. And uh, as one scholar puts it, Jesus is saying something more like this. If God is good, then you shouldn't throw the word good around very flippantly. In other words, Dr. Wessel says, Jesus is saying, look, before you address me with such a title, you had better think soberly about what the implications are and especially about what the implications are for you. When you call me good, do you really know what you're saying? Then Jesus goes on. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And this kind of is the second uh, part of the Ten Commandments that have to do with outward life. And scholars point out this is a summary of that. And fraud is likely is likely a way of describing, covet, another way of saying don't covet. Don't, don't uh, defraud. Don't covet. Then the guy says, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Then Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, have you ever seen such a trajectory? This guy comes in, wants advice. How do I get to this sort of next level? And hey, I followed all the laws. I've done all the stuff. Then by the end, it's like a crash. We watch this guy's, it's a reverse arc. He just goes, what happened? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 23, Jesus looked around after this guy sulks off. And said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed by his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Maybe you've heard this. There's this idea that this eye of the needle that Jesus refers to here refers to some kind of a gate in Jerusalem. And the idea was that a camel, which is a big old animal, would have to kneel down to get under the gate. So the idea is, you know, submission, kneeling. And that's what he's meaning here. Well, there's really no apparent evidence for that before the 8th century. That this idea that it refers to a city gate is, scholars say, probably it reads more like a fabrication that came later. And basically, 
we should take this at face value that Jesus is saying is this is impossible, right? That's the basic idea. It doesn't the camel through the eye of a needle doesn't refer to anything literal. It refers to just the idea. Hey, get this. This is so crazy. It's impossible for this to happen. So when Jesus says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The basic idea, basic idea is it's impossible. Can't happen. So the disciples pick up on that. And that's why they quickly go, well, geez, um, then who can be saved? Game over. Their thought, thinking is this, right? If, if in our attachment to stuff, if we can't let go, if, if we can't handle how hard following you is, if, if it's that hard, then everyone is sunk, right? If salvation is about my ability to let go of whatever Jesus calls me to give up, and if I can't do that, then I'm dead in the water. Well, if this text ended here, this would be kind of a nice parable, probably Buddhists would like it, of the idea of non-attachment. Right? Don't attach yourself and just float above everything and you can just you know, steal yourself to do that. Buck up and be strong and let go of things. The point would be then that we need to cultivate in ourselves a spirit of non-attachment to worldly stuff so we can let go when we make the decision to follow Jesus. If it stopped there, that's what would make sense. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus answers their question, who then can be saved, in a most unexpected, radical way. When the disciples say in verse 26, who then can be saved, Jesus says in verse 27, with human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This young man was never ever going to be able on his own to let go of his wealth. What the rich young man needed was to get on his knees and ask Jesus to help save him from his attachment to wealth. As scholar Dale Bruner puts it, rather than leaving brokenhearted, the man should have fallen on his knees and asked Jesus salvation from the demonic hold of his possessions. This guy needed more than advice. That's what he came seeking. He came seeking advice, right? What do I have to do? He didn't just need advice. He needed a savior, He didn't just need a lesson. He needed liberation. He needed love. And our text says Jesus loved him. He looked at him and loved him. And surely our Lord was willing and ready to free this guy, to help him get past it if he had asked. But the guy never asked for Jesus' power to help him. He just walks away when he realizes he can't do it. So this Christianity thing is never merely about transactional endeavors, right? It's never just, okay, just tell me what to do to get my salvation. Just tell me what to do to live eternally. Just tell me what steps I have to take as far as, you know, concrete, educative, like step A, B, C, D. We want all the rewards, but it's not just a matter of following a certain rule or a step. It's about being with God. Jesus himself 
comments on this when he says, what is impossible with this guy and any, and any steps the guy could take, what is impossible with anyone is possible with God. But sadly, this guy walks out of the gaze of Jesus' love and sulks off into his own inadequacy. The guy bails on the chance to be with the one who can save him. He walks away from the loving gaze of the Lord. And when the rich man chooses to not be with Jesus, he moves out of the place where giving up wealth is possible and into the place where it's impossible. Now, for sure, this text warns us about the dangers of wealth, right? Wealth is a blessing. It's something we can enjoy. It can be a sign of God's blessing. But it's also dangerous because it can give us a sense that we have more control than we do. It can give us a sense that we've arrived when we're far from it. It can give us a sense of power that we really don't have. And it can give us a sense of self-sufficiency and lull us into sort of an intoxicated state with enjoying all the goodies and the goodie bag, right? So we can get so caught up in the blessings, which I think is something God likes to do for us, but we get into a problem when we let the blessings fill us and distract us from the blesser. We get off track. Now, there's no indication here, as scholars point out, that this guy's call to permanently renounce and leave his wealth uh, was binding on all Christians at the time, right? What, what is happening here is one example of several ways that Jesus and the, and, and the early Christians expressed and called people to live out their wealth. Bible scholar Luke Timothy Johnson summarizes this well. He says, in the New Testament, you had people that renounced their wealth. We have people that gave alms. We have people that were hospitable. You can't give alms and be hospitable if you've given up all your wealth, right? So there's a very variegated picture here of our relationship with wealth in Holy Scripture and Jesus. For instance, remember Zacchaeus? Dr. Johnson says, you know, he was so eager to see Jesus and he also happened to be a chief tax collector. And when he welcomed Jesus into his house, notice that happened first. He got into connection and relationship with Jesus. Then he promised to give half his possessions to the poor and repay fourfold to any he had defrauded in the course of tax collecting. Now that was really generous, but it's not an absolute renunciation. Yet Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. We're not told that he sold his house. We're not told he left his possessions and followed Jesus, or even that he stopped being a tax collector. And there's no implication necessarily that he ceased being rich. Giving up half his stuff is half his stuff. The other half still could have left him rich, right? But he gave alms to the poor. He restored what he had taken. And he did that after welcoming the Messiah into his house. Same thing with Martha and Mary. They received Jesus in their house, each with a different style of hospitality. But they didn't, so far as we know, sell that house to follow Jesus, nor was this demanded of them. This is what Dr. Luke Johnson says. So there's there's a variable picture of how we relate with wealth here. There isn't one strict, absolute guideline. There's renunciation, for sure. There's almsgiving and there's hospitality. But either way, in every situation, this is about doing all of this within a relationship with Jesus Christ. And within the relationship with Jesus, that is where the impossible letting go becomes possible. 
Jesus answers this man's self-assured question, what must I do to get eternal life? And he answers it with a demand that is impossible to achieve without Jesus himself in his life. So if we swagger up to Jesus, just looking for some advice, and I want to, don't be too hard on this guy. He, he might, it was very, maybe perhaps very earnest, okay? Maybe it was swag, maybe it was earnestness. But he says, hey, what do I got to do? You know, as if he can do it, right? What do I got to do? We treat him like a teacher. We treat Jesus like a teacher. And we say to him, teach me, Jesus, about how to be more giving and generous with my life. Or teach me, Jesus, about how to give more grace. Or teach me, Jesus, about how to give more love. Or teach me, Jesus, about how to be more just. Here's what you can expect. You can expect a call from him to do way more than any of us can do on ourselves or by ourselves. When you ask him, what do I do? It's not going to be something that we alone can do. The demanding ethics of our Lord are going to drive us to our needs, knees. That's the way they're designed. They call us out of ourselves and to rely on him because we can't, we can't do it. Like he says, like Jesus says, with man, it's impossible, but only with Jesus is it possible. And if like the rich man, all we see is ourselves and our lacking capacity to do that. And we neglect the loving gaze of our Lord who draws us forward, who's right there in front of him, like the Lord who came to Zacchaeus' house, like the Lord who came to Mary and Martha's house. But if we miss that relationship, we're just thrown back on ourselves and we're going to sulk away and collapse. The call is too hard. Our Lord's ask of us will always be too big for us. What, you want me to go and forgive that person? Uh, I don't think so. You want me to give generously in that way? Uh, I don't have it in me. Uh, you want me to share this treasure right here? Uh, I don't think I can do it. That's impossible for me. It's not for God. Stay in the loving gaze of the Lord and let him go to work on you. I was talking with someone after church today and just in the first service and he was saying, how do we know when too much is too much? And you know, any of us who are Americans, we have a lot. We're all rich, you know, relatively speaking, right? And, and I said, the place to start is just a living daily relationship with Jesus in which we talk to him about it. Talk to Jesus while you're walking through Target. <laughs> you know, say, Lord, be Lord of my time here at Target. You know, be Lord of me while I'm on Amazon.com, you know, and let him look into his gaze. I mean, it, it, that's the place to start. And it takes a while. And then share with your friends. I remember I had someone at my former church ask me about whether or not he thought, what do, what do you think if Matthew, Pastor Matthew, if I buy this sports car, what do you think about that? What do you, well, you know, I'm struggling with that. See, even just asking those questions is a sign that you're seeking within a relationship with Jesus, right? To do what he, to do his will and seeking his power. We cannot do that by ourselves. This guy is, you know, the, 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 the challenge that Jesus give him, gives him breaks him. And I think that's what Jesus is up to here. With human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It seems crazy simple to say this, but it goes this way. Here it is. Summarize it. Here it is. To follow Jesus, we need to be with Jesus. To follow Jesus, we need to be with him. Stay with him. Don't walk away. And starts with staying in the gaze of his love for us. Notice Jesus loves this guy before he gives anything up. 
So this guy's not earning Jesus' love by giving things up, right? He is loved right there. But let his love and trust, because anyway, that's kind of, isn't it like sometimes that's where gripping stuff can kind of come from? Like, am I going to have enough? Am I loved? Am I, am, am I cared for? Am I going to be provided for? I probably should get this and this and this. You know, If we just start with, okay, I'm loved. You love me, Jesus, don't you? You know, you can try that. Start walking around Target and being on Amazon or wherever you like to go and remember how much Jesus loves you and maybe let that, let his gaze of love lead you. That way you're, you're, you're not moving towards stuff out of need or out of your perceived need, but you're remembering how loved you are. You're saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with my, my goodies? Well, the man fails to do what is impossible for him alone to do. But Jesus says, all things are possible with God. Money and material stuff is this guy's block. And so it's a good moment. This text is a good occasion to say, how's our relationship with money and stuff? We've already talked about that. To invite the Lord into that. Under the gaze of Jesus, who looks at us with love, where is he calling us to renounce wealth or to let go and give away something or share it? Renunciation, almsgiving, hospitality. Lord, what would you have me do? He's patient. Of course, wealth's not only about the material, it's also about time. Maybe times are our best wealth of all, right? So how does God want you to use your time and your talents in risky ways? Oh, I can't imagine giving my time to that. I don't know if I want to try that. Stay in the Lord's gaze of love. Tell him your struggle. Two things are clear in the text. First, it's impossible for us to let go of all we need to let go of. Second, God can grant us the freedom to do just that. Like the rich man, we may think we're doing well, cruising along. Hey, God, just need some advice. What do I mean? And then soon the call comes and bam, we're broken. And oh, I can't do that. Don't just walk away. Stay with him. Lord, I think I hear this. Am I right? Stay in the gaze of love. Talk with Jesus about it. And rest assured, God will give you the ability to give in whatever way he's calling you to give. But don't leave his gaze. Don't walk away. When I first arrived in Seattle in 1997, I was an intern at University of Presbyterian Church. And there was a wonderful guy he owned named Jim. He owns one of the largest catering companies in Seattle. And he was a well-to-do guy. And turns out he let a whole bunch of us stay at his beautiful home in Magnolia in Seattle. If you know Magnolia, it's this gorgeous place. And he had a Mercedes, I think he had a couple Mercedes. I think he owned Gary Larson's old Mercedes. Remember the far side? He let these, he had us, we were on staff with UPC. And then he had some other uh, young men who came from troubled backgrounds. He let us all stay in this house. And it was like a, a guy's you know, big beach dorm house. And he let guys drive his Mercedes and he shared his food from his catering company. He invited us up to his condos in Anchorage. And, you know, it's just very sharing and blessing us. Gave people, gave young men and interns and people starting out in ministry this sense of security and love and connectedness. It is so, there's, there's God's possibilities, right? That's where the impossibility of letting go and sharing wealth became possible because the Lord is the Lord of Jim's life. And I'm sure he's been in a process of that and probably continues to be. Within the loving gaze of the Lord. Jim is living proof 
that God gives wealthy persons the ability to give and let go. And God can do that for us too and whatever wealth we have. But to follow Jesus, we've got to stay with him. We need to stay in the gaze of his love for us. As Dr. Wessel says, apart from the grace of God, this text teaches it's impossible for anyone, especially a rich man, to enter the kingdom of God. Humanly speaking, no one can be saved by their own efforts. But what we can never do for ourselves, God has done for us. For he is the great doer of the impossible. And Dr. Wessel says this at the end. I like this. He says, could it be that the rich man was still within hearing of Jesus when Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but with God it's possible. You never know. We don't know. It doesn't say. I like to think so. Maybe he thought again as he says, I can't do it. But he, but he heard Jesus say, but it's possible with God. We don't know if the man was in, in hearing of that. We know that we are. What is impossible with us is possible with God. Whether it's giving away wealth or giving away grace or giving people second chances in our lives or third or fourth or fifth chances or giving up our dreams over here for this reality of obedience over here, it can happen because our God is Lord of the impossible. Stay in his gaze. Ask him for help. We need it. Embrace the fact that you can't do it yourself and open up to him who can do in you more than we can ever ask or even imagine. May it be so for me and for you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.